listen, Chris, I know that everybody in the industry knows who you are, and I'm sure you're aware of your presence. But my objective today was to figure out like where it all started. You know, like a lot of people know who you are. I think that our industry has celebrities for sure. Just like every, you know, the NFL, NBA, NHL. I don't, I mean, I know some of those players and I can see their stats, but I simply don't know, you know, what made Kobe Kobe or LeBron LeBron or things of that nature. So when we did this, um, I host a conference in Austin, you know, because I invite you yep. every year and you're never able to make it, <laughs> which I don't get offended by. I'll just keep knocking until you finally break down. But the uh, the conference, you know, we did it not because the industry needed another conference. It, it, we just we just felt like it needed something a little bit different, right? So mm -hmm. <clears throat> the only complaints that I would get at the end of these conferences, not the only, I would get uh, three of them, but two of them were consistent every year. One was that there wasn't enough of them. And the second one was that people just didn't get an opportunity to hear more from that person. Mm -hmm. So rather than um, go make more conferences, I felt it was time to you know create this revolutional podcast, I hoped, to where people can go and scratch the paint. So. I think everybody is aware you, your team has an amazing omnipresence online, so we could track on a daily basis what you guys are doing. But I mean, a lot of things happen long before those days too. So, you know, my goal is, is to try to help everybody understand a little bit more about your background because there may be someone else that's graduating from UT right now that one day wants to be, you know, the CEO of this mega data center company. So to that end, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody that's listening? Yeah, so Chris Crosby, uh with uh, Compass Data Centers. Um, so introduce myself. Let's see, we met in 2011. So, someone was asking me how long I knew you. I'm like, well, I've known Chris forever. I go, but I don't know if I could say I really know you know you, but I've, I think I met you when I was at HP. Yeah, yeah, you were, you were at HP. UIP and uh -huh. you gave us a shot. I sat down with you. I don't even know if you had Forrester yet, right? So no, I didn't. It was early days and- It's me and Curtis and- Yep, Yeah. awesome dude, right? And yeah. And I think that you were trying to stand, I mean, your whole product is this very standardized, consistent thing that you do. And the time you were, you were still stacking up all your partners, you know, yeah. and I think you get to the very end of everything that everybody already picks. Sometimes the last one they pick is the commissioning agent. So we were trying to sell you some commissioning, I think. That's right. I think and you then, did the first few jobs. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, Chris, where are you from? So originally I was born in Connecticut. What part? Uh, Norwalk. So a suburb of... Okay. Uh, New York City. Um, my dad was with, uh, ended up with Monsanto. I, I came about, he was a grunt in Vietnam. So oh, I came wow. about after Nixon brought home some of the boys. And, and so he spent a year over in the, uh, year over six months in the Delta, six months in the, in the jungle. So he was drafted front. for a year? Uh, he was drafted, spent a year in boot camp, and then went over, then went on tour. No and, kidding. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, so he was first sergeant, uh, my hero. Tons of brown stars. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so it's how, uh, uh, so he, his family grew up in Greenwich and a uh, uh, nice area. They were on the poor side. The Crosby family used to be pretty wealthy and then uh, they lost it all in the Great Depression. Oh, so, really? Uh, he, he grew up in the Maiden Butler's quarters and that really? little house. And um, so anyway, so he, uh, Monsanto Corp, moved to St. Louis for a couple of years. Uh, so kind of first and second grade, lived lived in Baldwin, Missouri, and then uh, moved to Plano, Texas in third grade, 1980. No kidding. During the heat wave of 1980. What um, was it like going, well, I guess it, you're third grade, so you know 
the big difference, I guess, between Missouri and Texas by then. I mean, summers are completely different, I'm sure, right? Well, I don't know. I, Missouri was just really, really cold in the winter and really, really hot in the summer. So at least Texas, you know, you get a mild winter. So were you happy to move to Texas? Yeah, it was awesome. Plano was this microcosm of the city. I mean, I, I still got so many benefits out of it. It was country back then. Uh, and, you know, but it was all people that moved to Dallas and, you know, every walk of life, you know, race, color, creed, whatever. And we all were just suburban kids that had earned our desk for nuclear bombs from Russia, you know, so oh, wow, everybody got along really well. So by uh, then, though, I mean, like a lot of big things have also happened in Dallas. Like this is after Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas as an example. I mean, what time frame was this? This is so in the 80s. Okay. You know, um, I mean, we were Dallas. it was it was, it was a TV show still by then. Yeah. 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 Out in out in South Fork. Yeah. But no, it was awesome. I mean, we grew up. It was this big sports town. Um, you know, it was great school district. And like I said, you know, we just kind of grew up in a bubble where um, everybody just got along. I mean, you didn't you, you just all played. And what, said, what brought what brought your family to Texas? Monsanto. Same company. Then they wanted him to move again. And then he, he said no. So he went into small business and worked in the pool business for what for there because we were so happy in in texas so i got you uh, and then i went to uh you have any brothers or sisters i have a little sister yeah how much uh, younger she's a couple of years and she's uh uh she is in advertising she runs uh creative for fleshman hilliard globally so she's awesome cool. used to used to uh have her do all my art projects as a kid oh nice uh, but uh so if she's only two years you guys went to high school together for a few years it sounds yeah. like yeah that's cool. Yeah. And then you, when you went to high school in Plano, I guess? Plano East, East Side. So even then they had- We graduated a thousand people. So. Was that a big school in Texas back then? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't as big as Plano. Uh, what's now, so um, Plano Senior was bigger. I think it was two X in our size, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy, but- Was it cool? Oh, it was fun. Did you do any sports or anything? Yeah, I, I, played, I played every sport and then was a late bloomer. Uh, took up tennis because I was tired of getting bat benched. Sure. What uh, year did you pick that up? Like, were you in high school? No, I was, I was probably 13, 12, 13. Are you any good at it? Was. Yeah, I was good. You still uh, play? No. My I highlighted tennis was uh, played in the Open in 1990. Uh, really? With my sister and mixed. Yeah, it was kind of cool. There's That's a, awesome. Used to be a junior division there, so that was kind of fun. You ever bumped shoulders with any of the, like, Hall of Famers? Or? Yeah. It was my highlight of my tennis career coming out of the locker room, seeing Gabrielle Sabatini walking back in. So. Was that cool? Where was that at? Where was the US Open? Is that in New York every year or something? Yeah, yeah, Flushing Meadow. That'd be so. cool. But uh, no, and then, you know, it was a burnout. I didn't didn't want to play. And then when it came down here, I uh, grew about a foot between my senior year and, and uh, oh, high wow. school to you college. Were so a late bloomer then. And I was just skinny, skinny, but love sports. So these intramural fields that are over a block away, spent a lot of time at those, a lot of time at Gregory Gym playing ball. So you went from graduate high school, Plano East, you said, and yeah. then you, uh, when you applied to UT, I mean, what was the, you want to be in finance? Was it? It was computer science. Computer science. Yeah. Okay. So, yep. Did computer science. Uh, I think my decision criteria was, I, I mean, I liked computers. I've had them. I think my dad got me a PC junior was the first computer we, we ever got uh, when I was in high school. I always like, you know, messing around on computers and, um, yeah, so I went computer science because it said it paid a lot when you graduated. So, okay, but did you have a genuine passion and interest in that yeah. stuff? It sounds yeah. like you always I also did. looked at military academy. I was colorblind, so disqualified. But Which academy? Just curious. Uh, Naval. Attaboy. So, I was like, just don't say Air yeah. Force Academy. No. So no. My dad was a pilot in the Air Force. 
Um, Long runways. <laughs> I know my, I have a, a brother that was an aviator too, but he's army and he would send things to the family chat sometimes is, I mean like B-52s have like, I don't know, 20,000 engines or yeah. 12 engines or whatever yeah. for real. But like you could lose like Four half of them, of them yeah. and still, still land, no problem. Flying Fortress, right? Yeah. So, so when, um, why did you pick UT? Just curious versus like you're up there, there's, I mean, A&M, was it a big tech There's no way I was going to be an Aggie. Ooh, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you came down here, you looked at Academy, um, you know, colorblind thing, and then you said, I'm going to go into computer science because you can make a lot of money. And then when you were down in Austin, when did things start, like when you graduated by then, did you already kind of know what you were getting into? Just came in with a bunch of hours. I think I had like 45 hours coming into school um, from AP tests and stuff like that. Um, oh, wow. That's like a whole year, right? Found found a lot of love in poker games and pool halls. and In Austin? Uh, yeah. How long did it take you to graduate? Uh, I graduated in, uh, in the uh, fall of 93, so. Was, was Were they a big powerhouse in football then too? Uh, so 1990 was, uh, that was when, when we got smoked by Miami um, in, uh, in, the, like in the, the Cotton Bowl. Okay. Smoked. Like we were number three and we just got. Were there any, players. like who were the, like, the big players that went on to the NFL from when you were playing or when you were at school there? Um, so Stanley Richards was safety, played for the Chargers for a long time. Um, would have been, uh, there was a few guys that played. Um, one of the, uh, but that was the Gardeer kind of quarterback era. So was Peter. it always a good school for football back then or was it? Yeah, Texas has okay. been a good school for a long time. Well, uh, uh, sorry, we've been overrated for a long time here lately, but you know, during the, we've had our ups and downs. Well, I moved here in 2004, right? Yeah, and sorry about that. Well, that perfect, perfect time frame. I was like, listen, powerhouse program. They were killing it, right? They'd been yeah. young. I mean, like, yeah. Mac Brown was still the coach. I still and like to argue with the Alabama folks that if Colt didn't get hurt. Oh, for maybe. sure. So, um, but I no. imagine that was probably a really painful game was to there. watch. It was you were awesome there. game. It was an awesome game. So, um, you so did computer science, worked the computer labs, and dabbled in hacking, dabbled in all kinds of stuff like that. Really? Uh, and got my co-op. I got a co-op job. That kind of set me on the right path, and I co-opted with Bell Northern Research, which was the R&D arm for uh, Nor Northern Telecom, Nortel. Which well, no where were they exists. based out of? And Richardson, and yeah, up in Dallas area. Oh, okay, so you got a job back up there. Is that what you want to do? Do you want to go back up there, to Dallas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I looked at other places. I remember interviewing with Sprint and went to, we were in downtown Kansas City, and the wind started whipping in November down those tunnel paths of, sure. uh, in between the skyscrapers. I was bitching about it the whole time the HR lady goes do I even need to put an offer in front of you I said no you don't you don't need to put an offer wow so I had a great great time at Nortel it was you know I spent five years in R&D and four years in in on the commercial side kind of nine different jobs over that time frame everything from member scientific staff in the first job to management to uh, went into sales engineering sales so what do you think you learned the most from that stop you know, you learn a lot. I, I got to observe growth. I got to see a business unit go from zero to a billion. Uh, they were really there. that small then? Yeah. Well, a business unit. Oh, okay. So on the international switching side. And, and I got a lot of exposure, international travel. I think my first international trip, I was 22 and I went to India, you know, to India. Bangalore. Uh, so, you know, travel and history, that's the way you solve all the problems of the world. If you people can travel and people understand history, they sure. shut up about a lot more stuff. Um, but that, that what was it like me. for your first trip? Because... It's terrifying. Especially I mean, it was awesome. Well, well, let me start with the awesome. So somehow 
they were flying us. These are back in the heydays at Telecom. Okay, so I fly first class on Lufthansa from DFW to Frankfurt, and they have a. It's in the nose cone of the 747, and they pop a keg up at the front of the thing, a little keg, and I wasn't going to miss a thing on this flight. Like there's more class. There's all this <laughs> the stuff. Plane doesn't. Land. This is all pre. This is all pre uh, 9/11 too. Sure. So it was crazy. Stayed up the whole time, then flew from from Frankfurt to to my ticket said Bombay, but it was Mumbai. They changed the name at that point in time. And uh, so flew from there and then was in a middle uh, business class seat. Um, so four, kind of four business class seats, smoking back then on the flight. One guy chain smoking beside me. The other guy had the worst body odor you could imagine. Um, so I was trying to inhale all the cigarette I could. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, then landed there so I didn't sleep that whole time so now I haven't slept at all we get to the we get to India and you know if the British invented bureaucracy the Indians perfected it um, uh -huh. because you could get a stamp for a stamp for a stamp you know on your passport you go through all these different stations and we had to get our luggage to transfer from the international airport to the domestic airport and so I get my luggage walk outside and it, there's so many people I've never seen so many people and I'm supposed to get on and find a bus, a Lufthansa bus. How old are you by this time? You're I'm like 21, 22 years old. Awesome. Perfect time to be completely caught in the wind. And I'm, you know, I hadn't, I had a ton of Indian friends um, from, you know, grade school on up. But I always, I don't know, whatever I, bias I had in my head, I was like, oh, it must be English as a second language to have the, have the, uh, so I didn't know that most at that age i didn't know that most indians spoke english yeah, you know at least in the big cities so it's pretty fun do you know the way They're to like the airport around. yeah um but uh then we get you know go there you drive through the slums uh you know you're just like not in kansas anymore mm -hmm. um and then the airport was closed so we had to wait for you know, get there like one or two in the morning and then we have to wait for a 6 a.m flight were there only so many flights that were coming in yeah. out a day or something there's mosquitoes the size of cars that are slamming so i sat next to that chain smoker uh, who probably <laughs> owned a, who probably owned a sweatshop and he was an italian guy making clothing so god oh. only knows what he did but then went to bangalore um yeah it was wild what was that what were you guys was setting up a lab for nortel i got you yeah so anyways it was yeah, you know, great experience, and then blessed to be able to travel South America, you know, all through Europe, all through Asia. So you get to learn a lot with different cultures if you you don't make many assumptions anymore. Sure, I haven't been. I haven't been. I mean, I think I was doing the math. It's probably not as much as you, but I was like, I think I've been over twenty something countries. Yeah, and um, I've never been to Asia, not a single spot, right? But not that I wouldn't want to go. But yeah. I just. Obviously, we live in a completely different time now in which just uh, being able to travel internationally isn't quite as simple as it used to be, just right. even from an, an overall safety awareness, let alone what the regulations are to get in and out of these countries. But um, I know how exciting it is to travel. So you're, you're, you've been at that company just a few years, it sounds like, and you stayed there for, it seems like, what, nine years, you said? Yeah. And in that time, did you, like, you sounds like you played a couple different roles and got to kind of evolve yeah. yeah i got to do all different things always like to learn try new things um you know i guess the same disease that would get somebody to go in a covered wagon and go out west or get in a boat to go to the new world kind of thing you know just, just always want to go to try new different things so um yeah what so made you leave well the writing was on the wall 
um, that the telecom bubble was coming to a pop. I mean, we had, so we just sold all this gear, right? You kill it on your numbers and the gear is supposed to be upgradable forever. And, you know, these networks were getting built. These were the first, you know, the big fiber optic networks for guys like level three or world's comms or, you know, mm -hmm. all of these different groups. And yet you were supposed to sell three X that quota in the next year. So, um, kind of wasn't, wasn't gonna oh, wasn't gonna happen. Yeah. Um, so, left there. Tried my hand at. I decided to try just try something completely brand new. So, two thousand one had left in February after I got my commission checks, and uh, decided to become an investment banker. Didn't do that. Interesting. So I just did middle market investment banking. Two thousand one was not a good year for that. I don't know. There's a little thing that happened in September of that year, and then um, I called the. Uh, one of my ex-customers from Nortel, Jim Trout, and said, hey, Jim, um, you ha you're working with that Carlisle group on uh, one Wilshire building, and you don't know anything about telecom. Do you need a sales and marketing plan type of thing? Oh, wow. Now, is this the same guy that started Vantage? Yeah. 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 Okay, so where was he at at the time? So he, that was it was called CRG West. That's now CoreSight. Um, wow. So, okay, so, so he was there, and you were... So because he was a customer, that's how you knew him. And so I knew that's him. So I did it, and I and yeah, I had a, my daughter in in April of that year. Nine eleven had hit. I'd had no income, and it was like, wow, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, how am I gonna pay the mortgage, kind of thing. Sure. And uh, yeah. How so did, how did you get into that though? Did you have another friend that was on the on the on the banking side that said, hey, look, no, I just just called and. Yeah. So if you have a computer science degree from UT, your backup plan is to. Get into investment banking, though. I just wanted to learn it. No, I, I um, could see the massive value in it, right? But like, I didn't things... know what it was. I mean, I, you know, it turns out middle market investment banking is kind of like introducing people together. Um, it's not the same thing as you know. So was he the first your first client? No, no, no. So I just called him. Uh, like I quit the investment banking, and I'm like, oh. I got to do something else. So I, I asked him for. I said, Do you want a sales and marketing plan? He says, Yeah. Well, how much would you charge me? I said, I don't know, like 80 grand. And he goes, done. And I said, crap. I should have said no. <laughs> um, and then I had one of my old employees, Steve Yo, help me with uh, with actually doing the marketing plan. I learned what the consulting business was about um, at that point. But mm -hmm. uh, worked there about a year um, and then got uh, was a little mouthy. I mouthed off to uh, uh, Rob Stuckey in a meeting who's the still in charge of all Carlisle's uh, real estate groups. Oh, really? And uh, well, told him, told him I disagreed in probably in 28, 28, 29 year old terms. Uh, okay. And uh, he said, he said, we'll see you guys later. So, <laughs> so Tom Ray and them and I left there. Um, and then that was the advent of, of digital. So Jim left, I left and we started a little business called Perferian. I met Rick Magnuson and Mike Faust at uh, the TRW building in LA and said, Hey, look, we increased the NOI from I think it was 12 million to 14.1 million during the year that was there at One Wilshire. You guys have this brand new fund, 525 million, which was huge at the time, uh, to go buy distressed assets. And uh, and I know where those assets are for my telecom days. And look, we've done this once, we'll do it here. And so that was the start of what became Digital Realty. So this is an interesting part of the story because in one of my first uh, hunting trips with Jim Smith, we went through like a bottle and a half of Widow Jane one night and I was asking him his story, right? Same thing that we're doing here kind of. So I'll get his perspective because it, it obviously dovetails in. I'm like, well, when did you meet 
Chris, you know, and he has his, his part of the story too. But um, for you, did you know Faust already? So they had toured our building. They had toured One Wilshire to buy it. And um, that was how they, we met. If so you Corsite owned One Wilshire originally? Uh, well, CRG West, C Carlisle Realty Group West was okay. owned as part of a fund. They had that building in Market Post Tower in, in San Jose. Gotcha. And then uh, 470 Vanderbilt in in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, so we focused on those two assets and, and uh, you know, did meet me room expansions. And what did, what did you have to say to get these guys to say, we have this half a billion dollar fund and we'll park it towards you guys to do this? Well, they didn't park it towards us. We just said, we'll be an operating arm. Like, we'll, we'll help do all the leasing. We'll do oh, all gotcha. the, you know, um, help with the, the business, the marketing, setting up Mimi rooms, doing all that sort of stuff, you know. So as an operating partner for the fund. I got you. Um, and the goal was to do that for multiple funds. So Jim was off trying to find other groups, and I was handling that account um, or just, you know, working on it. So the first building was 2323 Bryan in downtown Dallas. Okay. And then uh, we had 36 Northeast 2nd in Miami. Um, and then it just it just kept growing. So from, from 2323 Bryan on. That was the advent of, of digital realty. So could we go deeper into that? Because I'm fascinated by that whole part of the story because for some reason I thought it, it was explained to me once. It was like five of you all came together and you came from uh, an investment banker. But it, I guess part of the narrative is semi-right, it sounds like. didn't understand. I didn't understand that Carlisle element to it, it sounds like. Carlisle was, yeah. Car so Carlisle wasn't involved, but it, it was, so it was the investment, the fund, Rick, Rick did... Um, was five hundred million from Calpers, and twenty five million from CB Richard Ellis Investors, and Rick and Mike were kind of like in house at CBR REI um, gotcha. at the time, and uh, um, so they had this brand new fund, and you know that was the um, Chris Kenny was there. Uh, Who were some of the other original OGs that started that stuff with you? Because there's a lot of like yourself, right? A lot of CEOs in the industry now that. Um, had at least at one point, you know, they had been there. They'd done a pit stop at yeah. digital, if not more. Yeah. So after those three guys, then a little later came, uh, John Paulson came on board, uh, Scott Peterson, Bill came on, Bill Stein came on as we were do doing the IPO, uh, as really as we started that process in 04. As like the CFO or? As like a CFO gun, gun for hire yeah. is how it started. Um, but yeah, everything from the logo. How many of you day one, you know, minute one, was it just three, four, five, six yeah. of you? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And then was it, I mean, was it- When we took it public, uh, I think 19 of the first 24 were Profirian. I mean, we kept putting people on our payroll. Sure. It was still touch and go. Like Rick came up with the idea to take it public and buy some more assets in April. Took us through, we went public uh, at the end of October that year, 2004. And, uh, and it was touch and go. It was- you know, we're doing these in banker meetings and investor meetings and who are your clients again? And they didn't understand the asset at all. Probably. Well, it's Quest and Savas and did these no credit. And so there was a lot of explaining and then I had to work on all the IRS regulations for what was good income. Can we get rent on things like generators and, you know. So that's really early Genesis stuff. You guys, yeah. were, who were you able to I guess, I mean, this is after the Exodus days, but there, I mean, like mm -hmm. who did you get to go 
who was in orbit with you all as you guys were all kind of going through this together not just so it was you. funny i mean it was back in those days so like like uh i met furlong when he was at exodus um okay. um let's see some other folks though uh i mean it was just it was original days i mean manos was at microsoft um you know you could kava was still you know starting that uh, raging wire deal oh really um, I didn't know that's where he came from. Sacramento, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I think there's a lot of accidental things in terms of how this infrastructure stuff got built and how it got done. And I mean, of ability, op passion, and opportunity, you know, opportunity won out. Um, there's this period. I'm like Jim Smith as a good example. So Jim was hired as a uh, he was doing due diligence on 600 West 7th in L.A for us because that was a carrier hotel asset we're trying to buy it for pennies on the dollar but was he a broker he was a consultant no he was he was broke ass student coming back from london business That's school right. and That's needed right. a job and so i hired him as the first sales engineer how did you find him uh mike actually found him so he was a old colo.com guy and somehow he was hired as a consultant at some point and uh so but yeah he was the first first sales engineer at digital sales engineer and then he ultimately became like the cto or something. yeah 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 no he did all kinds of stuff but it's a great journey i mean I, you know so many folks uh you know shap we acquired in a cube at uh the the sterling network services building in phoenix oh that's right uh you know dorico hired him away from ge he was selling stuff in india really um uh how did i was wondering how you beerman, a lot of beerman i knew from from my Nortel days, we were both sales engineers at Nortel together. No kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just just the right confluence of events, right, that happened. And, you know, it was funny in those early days, like you really couldn't make wrong decisions, right? You, you, you know, things just, uh, everything turned to gold in that business, right? Um, it's a lot different now, a lot more mature now, but, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was, you know, it was just an awesome time to be so there. So what was it like now? I mean, I, I asked this with Envy, obviously, because I started a company, as you know, yeah. and I'm waiting for the, you know, the, everything just happens. It's amazing. I'm waiting for that phase. I haven't hit that phase yet, so. Uh, it's it's tough, man. It's a tough haul. I mean, doing, doing Compass from start, right? So I started at the end of 11. And, um, you know, it, it's really two businesses. I rebooted it in 2015, 16. Um, and you know, you get, you, it, t oh, everything always takes longer than what the optimist and the entrepreneur thinks. Um, and I that's guess. okay. Cause we don't get up every day because we think things are going to be bad. We get up every day cause things are going to be great. And that's what people run through walls for. Um, and you know, I think that the, uh, but things take time and you know, we were some of the things that we do, you know, a little, I guess at the. I didn't think they were out there, but they were a little out there, you know, doing single client stuff and large campuses and, you know, the standardization that we do, the level of, of, sure. of modular construction and things like that. They're now in Vogue. People talk a lot of talking oh, yeah. points about oh, now no water, right? right. Uh, so those are things that I definitely wanted to scratch the yeah. thing with you on because uh, there was a lot of things that I saw you speak about. Like I saw you speak at various conferences. There was one conference, probably the first time I saw you speak was it maybe a smaller show, like a DCD Dallas or something like that. And I remember there happened to be like a desk or a table of some kind there and they had a podium and all this and chairs. 
and you're like, hey, look, I'm just going to go sit on the desk right here. And, and, you know, you just started pouring all that stuff into it. You were sitting on the desk just having a conversation with people versus staying behind the podium or on the chairs with the other speakers. And you were like, look, I think that, that at the end of the day, you have to stop and look at yourself and say, hey, look, we've been moving so fast that, you know, you're not able to kind of stop and, and pivot. And you, you were like, I think it's not time to do more. It's now it's time to do better. And you were talking about all these means and methods that you guys were rolling yeah. out at that time. And I don't know how many, uh, I don't know how many assets you had going first, right? But, but I did. Let's go back to the digital stuff a little bit more, and then dovetail into that because was was there anything else about the digital side that you because uh, you were there? I mean, when I got in the industry, digital was yeah. Starbucks. I mean, you didn't really know who two and three and four was. And you probably had to add them all up together anyway to kind of reach where you, that group, which I think you were the quarterback of, they were just rolling at a different altitude altogether. And then you- It was awesome. We had great people, great teams. Um, and it was really fun. I, you know, we, we did kind of coining, you talk about coining phrases. So when I first called it wholesale data center, yeah, I remember Mike hated it because um, he you know, wholesale was like Costco versus Safeway mm -hmm. kind of thing. But uh, that, that, was that, resonated, thing, huh? yeah, that resonated with the market calling so it wholesale. Well, products. what happened was, so so ERS at, at Google had come up with metric around per KW. And so I, because it, it made more sense. Everybody was per square foot back in those days and, and it made more sense. And so I took it and then pushed it into the pricing model. And boy, was that, that was not easy to do because uh, it was all per rack and breaker amp kind of retail style or per square foot leasing. Did and you make a conscious decision to stay away from the retail side? Yes. Back in those days? Why yeah. was that? Just too much brain damage with, you know, too many... The problem with being a computer scientist and having done a lot of software and managed services and all that sort of stuff is you, you it's a deep and wide pool of people that do it. It's a hard place to be. As soon as I saw what asset businesses were and the return on and of capital, I was like, I want to do that. Yes, I have to use other people's money, but... This is cool. Real Did you see the industry and... evolving to where it's at now, 10 years ago, five years ago? Did you have any inclination, even back in those early days that, you know, we? I was talking to someone on a podcast just recently and we were talking about, I'm like, do you remember when six megawatt deals were big? You know, I mean, not saying that they're not anymore, but they're, you know, uh, there are groups that can kind of pick their teeth with those ones now because they're putting up 30 to plus, you know, 60 megs at a click or more. Yeah. So when you were doing this, how much of the stuff that you were trying to analyze and interpret yourself in the earlier days were you seeing any accuracy on in your, in your I think the big the big thing the switch back in 18 the end of 17 to 18 from 40 gig when that ticked up and you could hang so much more off of a network node that you needed more capacity that was when we, you saw us pivot to doing very large campuses Really, as so soon as you saw that, that it's a network that swings it. Man, there's two. There's really three flows in life, right? There's the flow of electricity, it's the flow of bits, and the flow of water that drives the drives the world. I think that may actually have been what you were talking about. That like the I don't know if you called it the third utility, but there was some sort of narrative yeah. around there that you were parked on back then. Yeah, and uh, you were trying to push it out. Right? And it, and it's true. I mean, if you look at what it takes to entitle, put a substation in, what these sites are going to be there forever. And they're going to get refreshed, sure, but they're the data centers are data centers, and when you do them well, um, you think about it as a hundred-year asset. You know, how many you know three refreshes worth of the big big iron on it, 
and you got refreshes on the inside every you know three to five years. I mean, it's a long-term asset. That's why we build concrete buildings. You know, we really think about it in that fashion. That's why the equipment's on the outside. You know, don't try to maximize sites and optimize sites. Really try to think about it as a how does this thing look over time. So, what would you do um, back then in the early days when there wasn't like now? There's a lot of history, you know, where you could look back and you could kind of dot out the evolution of certain things. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was Wild Wild West back those back in those days, right? So there was yeah. So like the Turnkey Data Center, I was Jim and I. Uh, we would sit in these meetings. So Jim was a chemical engineer. I was a computer scientist, and we'd sit in the meetings, and they'd either say. Uh, why do you do this? Well, that's what we've always done. Or why do you do this? Well, that's what our competitors do. So if they didn't have a good answer, we did, we cut it. And that was how the turnkey data center came about. And then I brought in some of the supply chain stuff of trying to match the most common size. So most common generator to a mag. So that nothing most, had to be customized. It was yeah. off the shelf. Yeah. Hmm. So that was the genesis of the turnkey. But we did mostly brownfield it digital back in the early days. So seven and eight was 2007. I think there's a 750 million in construction. 2008 was a billion in construction. A lot of it was brownfield. 2008, guys were doing a billion back then, huh? That's and then, amazing. And then, you know, you you had uh, you had a scenario where it just, I couldn't, I never got to focus on the building because it was going so fast. And then also saw the church, so, you know, getting to practice at digital. So I got to see the growth at Nortel, practice it at digital. And now this is kind of Rev3 at Compass is, you know, you, you, there's a lot of things that I wanted to work on. And a lot of it was around the building and the building fabric itself. And so that's what, what was the genesis of Compass was to go in Greenfield and DeNovo and really design the entire product from soup to nuts. Um, really think about the layout, think about the operations, think about that and take in all those years of, of you know, clients. Yes, it was the wholesale model. Yes, it was a multi-tenant data center, you know, got created as a result of it, but was that really what they wanted? Um, and yeah, so- that was. That was probably one of the things you were like, I think you quoted Henry Ford, like if I listened to my, if Henry Ford listened to his clients, he would have given his, his clients bigger horses, right. I think is the quote you used. Yeah. So going back, um, what was the culture like? Well, I mean, what, what were you, you had your finger on that, right? So like, what was, what, as I'm guessing, were you guys in Ford Bracadero back then? Or, I mean, we you were, went from this small thing that's just kind of patching together. So we started at, at Digital? Yeah. So yeah. So we started the first uh, offices right after IPO. We had it 200 Paul. Um, okay. And then we went over. We did our first team meeting at the Latham Watkins office in the f- conference room with everybody there. Was it nice? But yeah, yeah. But I mean, it was like literally we were touch and go on the IPO right up until the day of, and it was like, what's going to happen if we don't IPO? We spent all this time and effort. Um, so we priced a couple bucks under per share. If you invested at that point in time and held it, you did really really well um, oh really oh yeah yeah your dividends alone would be paying out you know every every time so it was cool um i mean it was it was so fun so i had the technical background and and you know international experience and that that sort of stuff and so we just kept growing that team so ops and sales and marketing and construction and it was just fun and then, and you were literally going global, right? Mm-hmm. So, were you traveling back to India in those days? Or? So, it started with uh, with Europe. So, which parts, like London or uh, yep, Slough? Yep. Or? London um, deals in London, deals in uh, in uh, Ireland, Dublin. I got you. Um, a lot of the places where some of these first things were 
it's kind of funny how some of them have still continued. Um, the, uh, yeah, so all over. And uh, Mark Lamborn back then was helping pick land sites everywhere. Uh, and then at the Twilight of Things, um, you know, I had a really a, a huge adjustment for me was my daughter. Uh, she drew a picture and uh, it was mom, Zach, her little brother, and her in a house and an airplane with a guy waving. So I would travel constantly. Sure. Was gone all the time, worked all the time. And so, so, you know, that was pretty impactful for what am I doing? You know? So when you decided to go do Compass, well, I remember there was, I don't know what you guys called it. It was a, you said uh, Flex Turnkey or something like that, but Tr you guys. Truly Modular, I think, was the first thing we used. There was like a yeah. code name for like the uh, modular approach. Yeah, yeah. And someone once told me that the genesis behind that was you sold, you already had like leases for capacity in Northern California. And then there was some sort of like air study or something that triggered something. And you're like, we have to get really creative and start building stuff in parallel. So why are we shipping? Oh, got it. Yeah, so the genesis of the skid. Because um, that was the first So part, the, right? the, the skid was still at digital. So what happened on that was um, we were, we, we did a job in Northern Virginia in 16 weeks for Morgan Stanley at the time, I think. And uh, it was crazy. And all I know is I observed just the trades working over the top of one another. So everybody's working in the same rooms. So I sat down, it was at a seven by 24 with Larry Beltramo. Mazzetti was there, I think, uh, and sat down a little like this. And, and I said to Larry, I said, we gotta figure out a way, better way to do this. How do we move this whole electrical room offsite? And that was the genesis of the, on a little napkin, that was the genesis of the skid. No kidding. And uh, uh, yeah, so that first patent is still still out there. And um, that, uh, that skid concept, you know, evolved. And then I took it to, when I started compassed really to the next level of things, which was, you know, how do I get to where I can always refresh? And, and the way to do that is to move to the external, um, as w in it, in it, if, if I have power rooms now that are, that are full power rooms, um, and then packaged mechanical, then I, I can upgrade things. And if I design the buildings in such a way, I can have constant upgradability. Um, so it was really trying to match form and function. So um, was that driven? primarily then based on speed or was that because the way you viewed it was it pencil out better or so it's delivering on the paradox it's it's delivering on the paradox fastest lowest cost and high quality and it's manufacturing so i'm going all the way back to my roots at compass so i go back to manufacturing at nortel and and just that's the roots of things and the uh, how did you know it worked like that i mean what were the concepts what was well we built a lot of stuff at, at digital so i got to see what works and what doesn't work um and like I said, you know, you get to practice. And then we started really small. So the concept with the one mag data center was if you can get it right at small scale. And I would, you know, I didn't want to go out into the shark infested waters and try to do bigger stuff right away. So let me go into secondary markets and try this out. And, um, you know, Windstream was our first client. Uh, oh, nice. Not, We're at in Texas or Nashville, Nashville and uh, and Raleigh. Um, and those were like you were doing one one mag chunks at that time or one? Yeah, one point two. OK. Yeah. And uh, so we did, you know, we tried out a couple building types uh, on the first two and then settled on doing precast. Um, if you looked at the compass evolution, it's all just incremental continuous improvement around a product concept, much like a car. 
Um, and then there's different versions of when that prototype's available. And then when the network changed, what we did was we took the same kit of parts, um, and then you can assemble it differently into bigger scale, but you still keep the same kit of parts. And so, and you know, we've been very fortunate. We are, you know, the power centers we have, we have the same PLC since 2012. Okay, I was wanting to ask you, like, how much have you evolved? Isn't maybe sometimes the best way to explain it, but like uh, adapted, I guess. So, because when you first started your product line, and then now what you offer, how much of that original stuff is still there, and like how many things have you you changed to as the industry evolved, or because there was maybe a blind spot in something that you had originally, and you're like before. Or I, I see where the market's going. I, I think if I make these changes now, I could get ahead of it again or something yeah. like how much of that? Well, one big blind spot was around uh, rooftop units. Okay. So in multi-tenant, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but in single tenant, I'm not, I don't want anything over my roof. Um, I gotcha. So we lost a deal to Honda at the time, and that was like the root thing. And you Because know, they wanted stuff on the roof to maximize. Didn't want it on the roof. Don't want oh. the penetration risk. Yeah, makes sense. So we went through that. That was a tough blind spot. That was 2015. Um, and then, you know, just that determination of, of, wait a second, like, you know, unfortunately being strong personality, sometimes you get people that tell you what you want to hear instead of what you, you know, what you should hear mm -hmm. type of thing. So, um, but no, so we made a big, some big shifts at that point in time. That was kind of the reboot of the business. And that was what, what were, in addition to taking stuff off the roof and putting it in the yard, was there some changes to like, uh. Were you adding more business units, or were you still just focused? Changed the team, changed our money. Um, you know, made some fundamental changes to, to things. So, you know, really just take the hard look and do what needs to get done and, and then move it forward. Uh, were there some big trends that you were seeing in the industry at the time where you're like, if we don't, you know, evolve our dice over to think, but like even right now, there's things that, you know, me and my partner sit down and talk about that we wouldn't even see those impacts until the you know first quarter of next year, but we know that incrementally over time, they'll pay dividends if we make those changes now, right? Yeah, so, yeah, so I mean, you know, I think like the supply chain crisis is a good example, right? Um, our procure, you know, a lot of people have procurement strategy, we had a supply chain strategy, um, and that didn't, wasn't necessary in just-in-time world. Um, that's very, very competitively advantageous to us now. Sure. Um, so there are things that you do that you just know work in business in different environments. And the key is, is when you set those strategic anchors and the winds start blowing outside, like, do you just hold on to those anchors or not? And you still got to evaluate them every couple of years. But, you know, we do that as a senior team. Every couple of years we'll reevaluate our anchors, um, you know. But uh, if you use them as guideposts, like, they, they work. And you don't get you don't let external events determine things that you know are, you don't have a whole lot of them, have, have some core ones, but uh, hold true to them. So what are some of the things that you're doing? Well, I, I feel like I painted with super broad strokes because I was really more focused on some of that compass stuff, but uh, I was just trying to make sure I squeezed every last drop of out of anything that could have, could benefit or anybody else in the industry that's listening, gain any you know knowledge from listening. Was there anything else lessons learned from from the original days of digital before you yeah. you know you went to this so that way you know the way it was originally described was someone's like yeah, it's kind of like um digital 2.0 he's just picking up where they left off on certain things and i'm not 
saying anything to trivialize what they're doing versus what you're doing. Um, but was it, uh, I want to go do something completely different. And, yeah, and it's di do different, not better. Okay. So when you did that, you felt like, hey, you know, I'm going to build it and, and they will come. Like when you have a supply chain challenge you're, or just in time not versus not just in time, you invested into something and took a big risk, right, to put yourself in a position where you could hopefully maybe win more than your fair share of opportunities because you positioned well. What are those things that you drew from that that allowed you to reposition here to catch a headwind or a first mover advantage on something? Um, you know, I, I would say we're, we're a little unique in that we're not market focused, we're customer focused. So we really wanted the business to be focused on a few customers and but then really try to serve them um, and try to deliver around that. So, so that helps, um, you know, it helps that there's a lot of cross pollinization between those companies and what they try to accomplish. But, you know, if, if you can, you know, do speed and, and low cost and high quality and mass customized and relative, you know, profound, we call it profoundly simple, just make it easy. Um, those are the things we focus on from, from market perspective. So what are the things that inspire you the most about what you're doing right now? Team and watching the culture work. Um, it's so fun just watching it be, uh, you know, all these new, all of our new hires. It's in a, nine out of ten are like, "Why are you here?" Well, we're here because of com you know the culture. Um, people go through this crazy interview process with us. There's like eight, nine, ten interviews, and the last, you know, six, six to seven are just, "Do we think you can adapt to? Can you fit the Compass culture?" Um, and it's uh, that's the most fun part. I always say I got three jobs. I instill the culture in the organization, organize the team, you know, in terms of how the structure looks and, and then manage the investors and the board. And I, I'm not that good at the third one. So, uh, well, you probably have some strong people on your team that help with that. Oh yeah. For, for where you started at just you and Curtis, right? Yeah. And then where are you at now? How many people you all got? Oh, I mean, including the Radix platform, it's probably 160. I don't even know what those plot. I mean, I know you had Radix yeah. IoT, which is a, it's a IoT management. Um, so it does everything from a s solar farm monitoring to uh, to a Chick Fil A to a edge data center. Um, really, really cool platform. Uh, Fred Durler runs that team for us. How do I? Oh, Fred. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, he had what Fieldview or yeah, yep. yep. super smart guy. Give him my best. What about? Um, I saw that you hired Tony. Yeah, Tony's running uh, what we're calling Quantum, which is our edge. Okay. Um, so it's a you know, 12 rack, you know, true data center, two end data center, which mm -hmm. has been our view on where the edge is necessary. Um, and uh, it's an enterprise grade product. And then we offer that on, as a service. So um, I got you. Yeah. What else do you, I mean, Started off with just data centers. It's two new products that you have in addition to what you do for your. Yeah, so one of our other anchors, any size, any place. So we have different stair step. We, I'm a James Bond nerd, so uh, I, I love, was wondering where the names Bond. came from. Explain to everybody that doesn't know the names. Yeah, so everything's. Uh, it, it just took off. I don't know what. Kind it's pretty of cool what actually. Happened. So, but the. Uh, so we've got a Skyfall product, which is our, our well, Quantum is the smallest one, right? From Quantum Asalas. Uh, Skyfall is the 1.1 to 2 meg kind of building size. Um, Thunderballs are kind of 4 to 12 megawatt size. Um, then we've got the Moonrakers, which are the 30 to 36 megs. 
we've got the uh, Spectre, which is a two-story 24 mag. Um, and then uh, got a Golden Eye for over in Europe as well. That's, a, that's kind of a cool one. A, so were those your favorite movies? No. They just were single-word ones. Oh, uh, uh, I so, got you. All right. But, that makes you know, sense. Thunderball's up there, though. I'm a, big, I'm a big... Uh, I love the Sean Connery ones. And okay. so we got a bunch of pop art up at the office from Devon that uh, has a bunch of no, Sean I saw, Connery I stuff. your conference room the first time. I think you, that's what all the posters and stuff like that yeah. were in that room were, which was pretty cool. It's been I fun it's for everybody. Clever. Uh, I thought it was originally like a code where no one else was intended to know what those were. You know, you know what's cool like, about Bond, though, is that it's so generational. So everybody has their Bond. You know, I like the Sean Connery Bond. You know, a lot of folks grew up with the Roger Moore Bond or the Daniel Craig Bond or... Or, I like that one, yeah. The I don't know that one. anybody's a Pierce Brosnan Bond fan, though. I forgot all about him. So, so uh, just watching him run was difficult. So, <laughs> he was like uh, some other. My mom used to watch some TV show that had him as like a nighttime soap opera. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but um, all right. So you, you like over the course of time, you're you're reinventing yourself every year, every quarter. I mean, as the market shifts, you're kind of staying in tune or in cadence with that. Or are you trying to? try to time it and get ahead of it? I mean, no, I mean, you know, we, I think we're pretty clear on where our strategy is going to be at for the next couple of years in terms of what we're doing with land, land banking, land development. And then what are you guys then, doing or whatever you're comfortable talking about? So you started off in, uh, I think you said Raleigh and Nashville or something. And, and now you're in how many different markets and, uh, I should know that off the top of my head, huh? Probably like 18, and, 17. And that's like, Three, four, or five countries, or one, two, three. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, what else is on your plate? Like, what what's the next? Like, what are you trying to? I'm not trying to get. We call it, it the to... rocket ship, internally. So okay, it's but... uh, it's. It, I mean, it's it's a fun, it's a really fun ride right now. We're really trying to, both. I mean, our, our pillars of the business in terms of how we design design things, how we, um, deliver them. We call it delivery, not not construction, and then how we operate and uh, you know, trying to deliver uh, across all three of those in a little different fashion. Um, and it's a, uh, it's fun. It's really fun uh, because, you know, our, our teams, we've got so many smart people on the teams and watching them all aligned around a formal culture. We have a very formal culture, but aligned around a vision and watching what they're delivering, the amount of fingerprints that go into the compass way of doing business every single day from the teams. Um, we have one, one fun thing. We, we celebrate failures every quarter on our all hands call. We call it the Wiley Coyote award. Nice. And, um, you nominate, you can either get, you can get nominated by your manager. You can, most people just nominate themselves. And so you nominate yourself for it and you say, look here, I want to tell everybody here was my big fail. This is the thing that I messed up. And almost always it's one of our it's a cultural violation of some sort that could have prevented it. But then you say what you poke okayed, what you what you put into the system to make sure that that can never happen again. And we sell, we love talking about because, I mean, every great learning I've ever had in my life is through failure. It's not through success, right? I think the good Lord made shit the best fertilizer for a reason. Yeah, um, so it's uh, it's so those failures and and being good about talking about it and letting people try things and letting people go. Do new things. Uh, it's really fun. What do, What do you think? Like, I don't know how easy it is to codify it in a short narrative, but what are the things that you've learned the most so far since you started Compass? You know, I, I would say the thing that's that's the biggest, and and it's um, it's our first core conviction. It's humility and pride out. Um, 
not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, that everything spawns out of that in our culture. And it's just taking a different lens, checking the ego, but just constant learning, constant seeking out other perspectives. We're a really diverse company. So we start with personality tests, which is the first level of diversity. And we make sure our teams don't have the same personalities. We avoid groupthink. Interesting. Um, then you go to race and gender and, and everything else. But it's really just seeking out different perspectives, new ways, new new things and preventing our own biases or our own lenses of experience to, to, to taint things. And I think watching the power of that has just continued for me just to double down and double down that that is as the essence, not just the work life, but the life life. Like how many things can I learn if I check my ego? How did you, how do you arrive to that? That, that that's how you were going to be a CEO and that's what you were going to make is the core priority is, you know, culture first, everything. Takes I think the evidence of ego, Watching, mm -hmm. I think it's having watched ego destroy like a company like Nortel, which doesn't exist. And, you know, you get blind with pride, you know, if you're right, if you have to be right. I mean, how ridiculous is it to say that you're right? What does that really mean? Like, you can be better or worse at something, but what's the right way to build a building? There's no such thing. What's the right way to deliver a proposal? What's the right way to sign a lease? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So where did you find this like temperance and this grace in leadership and management? Did, was there a, like, as an example, the reason why I ask is, and I'll share some stories that you are humble about and don't ever talk about. We don't ever waste the opportunity to talk about it when we can. Um, I actually had mentioned this on one of our previous podcasts when I didn't know you that well, right? When we changed, uh, I left, I worked for one of you, I mean, Shap was one of your protégés, right? So I worked for him and um, had an amazing experience working at that organization. But there was just a, a thing in my life where I just felt like I had to go try to do something different. And we went and we started that. And I remember I changed my LinkedIn and literally like within a few hours, I think you called. And it's not as though we knew each other super well, but you're genuinely, you know, sincere person that cares about people. So you're like, hey, what's going on? How's it going? You're like, hey, well, why don't you pop up maybe next week and I'll let you talk to the team or something and you block and tackled and like, look, all I could do is ask him to meet with you. I can't, you know, I'm not going to do anything beyond that. And that's all we could ever ask for. And um, we had been working for you for just a few months. We started our business in November 1st of 2019. And um, I think, you know, that time when COVID hit, I had probably, you know, 14, 15 people total, but probably like nine of them are FTEs. And I remember I'm just sitting there, you know, like everyone else, you know, the you know, world's a dumpster's fire and everyone's just trying to figure out where they could get toilet paper. And um, I'm trying to figure out how I could ensure that my team can um, can still travel if they need to travel to support our customers, things like that. And, and I get this random text message from you. And it's like, hey, man, I know you just started your business. Wanted you to know that we're good. We're solid here. We're not going to not pay our bills. And if you need anything, let me know. And I was like, there's a guy that has a team that's 10 times the size of mine, it sounds like, and, and all of those customers, and you still had an eye on your partners, you know, your vendors and your supply yeah. chain. And I was like, man, that's pretty amazing. It was actually a very humbling thing for me that day because I don't know you that well, so I don't, I don't know what kind of leader you are. Obviously, we know what kind of industry thought leader you are, but I didn't know what kind of person leader you are, how, how, what your dynamic was in that, in that sense. Obviously, it leads to productivity in the business, but I didn't understand 
where you were, but I just thought that that was an extremely generous offer. And, and that was the second time you really helped us because I remember sending a note to my leadership team and going like, guys, you're not going to believe this text I just got, but this guy's not going to let us fail, you know, so we're going to be okay. And I said, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that he is successful with what they do. And we do, uh, you know, every opportunity we can, we talk mm -hmm. to people that we do work with and make sure that we remind them of the things that you and your, ta your team has done. I mean, Tammy's been amazing. And um, I'll tell you, it's, this, it's one of those situations, but it was the second time in like two months or three months. The first one was, your advice to me was to buy a book called Zero to One. It was the, f so I bought like 10 copies and I gave it to everyone at the company basically. I'm like, this is the cult that we have to become to be a strong, successful yeah. business. And you're like, start with that, you know, zero to one. And it was just those little nuggets that you were dropping when you didn't have to, right? And I didn't, sounds though, you certainly didn't know us anything. I mean, you, um, but I didn't know you well enough to think that you would even care, right? So you were throwing a lot of really cool things over the fence to us that had a huge impact on our own culture. I mean, I don't know if I told you, but I, there's a pretty amazing lady that works for us. And she's a UT grad too. And um, we think that she's just one of the best at what she does, right? And um, Mackenzie, by the way, yeah. if she's ever listening. But She's so awesome. She is awesome. And, and I knew that our risk was she's so good if we put her on a team like yours that your culture would outshine our culture. And she'd be like, Kirk, we had a good run, but you, you know, this is the JV side and this is the varsity side. I'm like, listen, I remember telling her, I'm like, Chris had like 12 years to get to that point. That's yeah. not fair. He has a huge head start. Give me a little bit of time to pick up the speed. And she's good because she holds us accountable too. Yeah. And she has a voice and she'll say whatever she feels. And we listen, obviously. But she's awesome. But I just remember telling her, she goes, she was really cool because she sent me a note that was like, it was like, you need to step up your game type of note. But she was like, let me share with you a few things that happen over here that these people do. And I was like, man, that was months afterwards so that's like the third time i'm still getting a, hmm. a pretty solid dose of some of that stuff that you were pouring out so that's why i asked where did you learn where did you go from becoming where you were building the biggest most powerful data center company in the world to one of the as you said a different one that has a completely different mission or a different purpose but you focused it it sounds like more on this other thing and then you're watching it swell yeah. right well uh, look i mean <laughs> I, I'd love to say that I've been like this my whole life. I haven't, you know. That's I, what I'm asking. Like, a lot of arrogance, a lot of, you know, a lot of ego over the years. And Where did uh, you get humbled at? You know, I mean, my my parents always tried to instill it in me. I remember my dad always telling me a story um, coming in as the FNG, um, you know, getting airdropped in, and, and he's the, supposed to be the sergeant. They love their other sergeant who, you know, got sent back. And uh, I didn't like this new guy. You know who's the new guy, and uh, I remember. I mean, he would always tell the story that he carried the ammo for the first few days. You know, that's what he did. Just let me pay my dues. Sure. And uh, you know, I, I think that when you observe a lot of things, when you observe the success of 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 things, when I observe the most successful times for my teams, are when my personality. Some of it's not intentional. Just you know, I got a big personality, and. You don't mean to always dominate. You don't mean to always. So I think that's the point, right, is your big ass name, right? So I remember, I mean, I, maybe the second time I saw you were at some conference in Florida and there was like a line a half hour long to sit down and shake your hand or some so shit. I could have been a rock star. I would have been a rock star. Those would have been better groupies. So. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, like, Peter Gross used to be able to collect an orbit like that too, right? I, I mean, love, probably still love does. Peter, yeah. Oh, for sure. Me too. Um, but I'll tell you, like, I remember... 
meeting other people in this space and um, like the bigger they were, like the less humble they were, right? And I was thinking to really be at the top of the, the hill here, you, you, you won't get there as a mercenary. You gotta be a, or as a missionary maybe. You can only get there as a mercenary. And, and then I just started seeing, you know, the other side of some of these CEOs. And we get the opportunity to work with some amazing people that yeah. are pretty sophisticated under the teeth. But I was stunned to see where that came from. But what I've learned is, in some cases, all of us have pride. And we, I mean, look, we want to have a lot of confidence in our ability. Mm -hmm. I mean, we live in a day and age in which, I mean, I... There's a lot of younger kids that don't have any confidence and as a byproduct of that they have anxiety and depression yeah. and, and and here we are in this space you have a lot of people that are pretty intelligent and with that comes a great deal of confidence that could obviously be perceived one way or the other so i didn't i didn't know you so that's why i was like okay so maybe some of these guys that are at the top of this hip maybe they're actually genuinely good people they're just aren't the most violent ones to get to the top right so where was it not to say you were violent you know when you were at the other place but like at some point when you broke out and you had your own thing you're like okay look i'm not i get to set the tone or i get to set this you know this is what it's not based on what we say we want to do it's really based on what we're going to tolerate right so at some point you said hey look if you want to be a part of this this is what is we'll tolerate this is what we expect this is what we tolerate and everything else is out you know so i got a i got a life coach back in 2006 and uh that was kind of the start of my journey of, and it is a journey of, you know. There you go. And I mean, he, I've always been able to use humor and those that know me well know that I can be super passionate about something, but then, you know, rip on myself in this, in the next sentence or whatever and self-deprecate sure. or whatever. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, when I was at, and when I left digital, it was, I mean, it definitely made me sad. I was kind of like, I was Darth Vader or something like that uh, oh, type really? of thing. But, uh, you know, which, I, you know, they're all still friends of mine. So uh, it was just odd. Um, you, you, you know, you, when you're blazing a trail, you know, you do rub people the wrong way. Um, if you couple that with a personality type like mine, you really rub people the wrong way. But they don't always get to know who you are. Um, and I think those that do you know, know me, know that I'm also the first one to try to apologize when I do cross the line on things. But I think the big thing on the humility side is the C.S. Lewis line of, of it is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. I mean, that that is the essence of it. It's just put your who can, yes, of course, you have an opinion. Why don't you learn everybody else's first? So to that end, I mean, now we're going to bust into some of this tequila because you were yeah. telling me a little bit about it. We're, we're going to talk about this next, but. That's why I wanted you to come on, right? So you were one of the first guys I asked to come on. And I try to, I know how busy you are, so I stay out yeah. of your way as much as I can. But you just said something I think that really dovetails back into what we were talking about. You're like, look, I admire your passion. And with that passion, you know, the knife, it cuts both ways, yeah. right? I share that. I'm sure if you talk to people on my sure. team, I could be a a mercenary or a missionary depending on which way they're dealing with me on which which element but uh, like you i always feel like people that really know me understand my humor they understand my intent salute so thanks for coming chris yeah absolutely but they they understand you know if i engage with someone that doesn't have the context or they simply don't know me well enough to feel confident that they that my jokes are a jokes versus an attack of some kind yeah 
you don't know, but you you tend to have a better, more meaningful relationship where you get more, everybody gets more out of it. Um, if you can trade paint like that and just, you know, have fun, but you only do that with people you know. My goal was just to make it to where more, maybe more people know you. I've had the opportunity to, to know you more, not more than everybody else, or but probably more than most of the industry, just simply because yeah. I've known you for longer. So I wanted to open it up so that other people could see the other sides, right? So that's why I was scratching the paint. I'm like, so what was it that, that where the light went on and it sounds like you gotta have i mean yeah i think you have experience and you have fails right you learn through failures you learn through you know the amount of assumptions i think that of where people would be intimidated is the right word for it intimidated to come and talk or intimidated to bring up an idea you know a deal's working with me now on on i i, I tend i've been tending lately to end a sentence with right as a question mark Oh, that's not a good. That's not a good phraseology from somebody with my personality. Oh, because then right. it could be seen as like a right, <laughs> like, like a dominant. You know, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't mean it that way. Agree with me. But yeah, yeah. but you know, I, you just got to work on language. I, I got to work on language. I'm ironically, I'm not a gr I'm not a very good communicator. You know, like somebody you like suck. I some, was going to say that. I mean, I didn't want to say that, but I'm, I'm joking. I'm no, I'm, I'm I'm joking. I'm serious. In front of the team, you know, I. I mean, Tammy's an awesome communicator. Unfortunately, oh, sure. AJ does a great job. Communicating. Jared does a great job communicating. Uh, you know, I, I, I'll say things, but I'm figuring everybody's keeping up and, you know, it in the same room with me. And then, you know, I say two sentences when I meant three pages worth of material. Ready, break. You know, let's it's go. It's called skipping. I do yeah. it too. So I have on my board, on my whiteboard, in the office at the top of it, it says, it says, it says vision. An execution plan, and then it says perfect implementation, and I have a red line through the execution plan. I'm not good at that. I'm good at the vision, and then know how to implement a lot of stuff. Uh, perfect but, execution or perfect <laughs> implementation, like so. Oof. No, it's a, it was yeah, a yeah. joke. They they put the word perfect in, but my team did. But uh, it was it's basically, I I can go from the 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 phrase that we did in our first offsite was you know Crosby can be at. 30,000 feet or he can be down with the ants like and yeah. I can do that in the middle of a conversation and I, I mean I've just gotten to experience a lot of things and I love learning and I love reading and I love finding out new things and you know do you find that you you do that though like it transcends that's who you are so it transcends beyond just your work I mean you're still yeah. like in my family too like I found that I skipped there in my mind I've thought about it so much right that I am just kind of uh tapping the ball as it's spinning on the tip of my finger, thinking everyone else already saw it, yep. And they're only getting the taps. They didn't understand the uh, all the yep. all the things that went on be before that. And I, and I found that I have amazing people. Thank God that'll slow me down. I'm like, go settle down. Um, I think I understand what you're saying, but there's a few pieces in here you skipped right through that are critical. And that's so important to have people around you that'll do that. Yeah. Um, I love uh, people that slow me down. I mean, I get look, I'll get beat fit, beat red face, but I do, but I love it. Like, you know, sometimes I want to move on. I, there's a, you know, there's a few different types of fears around decision-making, right? There's, good, by the way. yeah, I told Smooth. you, Lalo, Eduardo. Um, so, you know, the fear that trap that I fall into is the fear of inefficiency. I hate waste. I hate inefficiency. Um, it drives so much of, you know, things that I've done and, um, you know, well, sometimes it's okay to be a little less efficient there. You let everybody go through things. I mean, we do, we do this culture workshop um, at Compass and 
where we take any new kind of big idea or project or difficult situation and you run it through a formal workshop and the rules of engagement in the workshop are in the round robin about what the issues and challenges are is everybody talks. There's no filter. Everybody gets put everything out on the table. So, uh, and so you get for a dominant personality like mine, which wants to go straight to the answer, you know, it's, it's like, I have to do it in a formal fashion. Otherwise I have to do it in an informal cause I'm a, and I have to be the last one to talk so that I don't, say something that maybe influences what someone else is going to say first. Mm -hmm. I really want to gain their input. So I'll try to always be the last, but, um, what I found was mine wasn't a formal meeting. I just went and bought like $500 worth of Nerf guns and laid out buckets of Nerf gun bullets on the table. And I said, when people aren't engaging, let them have it. That's funny. And I'm like, and I'm like, you just can't shoot them in the face. You know, but <laughs> if you're sitting there and Hopefully everybody's a good shot. So. We're talking about something critical and you see some dope pick up his phone just to make sure because he heard a buzz and all of a sudden, whoosh. but it was just our informal way of That's getting cool. everyone to engage and collaborate because, um, you know, actually maybe this is something that Shap used to say something to me that who knows where he learned it from, but it was like the chorus always sings louder than the soloist. So you don't want to have this room full of talented people that are not singing together, right? Mm -hmm. And um, for me, the only way to get them engaged was f through some sort of humor versus try to set yeah. a serious formal tone because the type of people that I typically hire are misfit toys, right? They they need to do something that makes them feel significant. That's the most important thing, right? That's the purpose that they have to have that they're contributing to something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. They... Um, they're not going to be looking to step on their counterparts to try to get a little bit further ahead. They're going to be right. trying to figure out how they can help others around them be ahead. So when you, when you're creating an environment that's going to be ran like a family, you're, you're not going to have, we try to have, I mean, we have to play grownups for certain meetings, but in the most yeah. part we try to have, we try to make it to where people are comfortable so that people can make decisions without fear, right? Yeah. Or say things without fear. And I think it's just really important that not everybody's going to fit in your culture. And that's okay. I didn't learn that either. That was a nugget that you taught me the other day. I remember I called you about something. I'm like, uh, I could use some input from a CEO with experience type of thing, you know, and I needed... And I said something, and you almost were giggling at me. You're like, dude, drop the self-indignation or this. I mean, it was like an easy, like, swat of a fly type of thing. And I'm like, oh, I amped up all day about something that I'm taking maybe personal and it's just business. And you're like, settle down. Yeah. Welcome to the, you know. Welcome to the club. <laughs> yeah. You're like, listen, you're going to have people that don't buy into your culture. You're going to have people that yeah. don't buy into your system. You're going to have. And that's okay. Yeah. And that doesn't first... mean they're not productive. doesn't mean they're not great resources. You can be an A a resource at another place you're just not an a here yeah and that's okay that was the thing that was probably the hardest is is like trying to figure out like why would someone want to ever leave here why would someone right. even have anything but the most amazing but that's your ego is, you're right so but those are the humbling moments right yeah. so who's uh who do you call who's your mentor so uh raymond gleason's been my coach for a long time he's, is that your life coach you're talking yeah about? he's still a dear dear friend and then i've got a couple guys uh chris does chris, he get in your face sometimes when does he challenge you i oh, get yeah, in your face but you know yeah no i i like people that challenge me uh you know my, my wife does a good job <laughs> with with it uh buddy chris mcfarland master g uh ceo uh brian wick is one of my attorney buddies i i think it's just important i don't have a lot um you know 
but you know, you want to be able to call folks and run through things, and and uh, even if whatever, you, however you form opinions, you know, I remember Chris. I remember one time I was talking to Chris, and and difficult point in time in the company, and I said, "Hey, you ever had one of those days as an entrepreneur when everything that can go wrong goes wrong?" Absolutely, you want to talk about it? And uh, he said, uh, "I said, well, what do you do?" And he says, "Well, I get my team together, and I tell them the situation. And I listen to what they all say, and I go home, sleep on it, and then I make a decision the next day." I was like, "Hmm, can't do that with my team." Mm, so then you learned that, hmm. you know, pretty pretty big knife into the stomach type of thing and and you just move forward you know and you and you but you learn those lessons and you take them and you you're like wait a second what I, I, I while I think it's more efficient because people are agreeing with me it's not more efficient it's not better for the business like it's it's you know we're not getting the best of things and now when I you know if you looked at my leadership team the personality types are across the board the backgrounds are across the board you know, um, and it's just, it's awesome. Do they have the ability to challenge you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like do they have to do in private or do you have an open So one of my favorite stories to tell whenever people come on, so I do, I still do the initial culture training for every new hire in the company. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. The first hour they got to get with me. Are they freaked out? Someone's like, why am I, I sitting talking to this guy? I don't know. I mean, they've been through so many interviews and this and that that, that, that have talked I about the cool culture. Because only... But it's so fun. I don't want to give it up. Uh, the right. first one. Now, mine doesn't really sink in right so we have all these follow-on ones and everything else but uh and who knows how good of a teacher i am but i'm passionate about it sure. um but i always tell a story about humility and pride out and um i was on john shine i don't know if you know john yeah He's one of our, been a long time salesperson for us raymond hawkins had just started um he was three weeks into his job and we're on a phone call and we're john and i are uh, i've got raymond in the office he's on John's on speakerphone and uh, going back and forth on some deal. And, uh, you know, I've got it in my pig headed. One thing, yeah, I was in the I'm right mode, you know, and, and, and I have I'm no going, idea what you're talking and about. And I have the, the whole thing where I'm hanging on to every little thing, not, not just the things that are important. And uh, so he says to me, uh, so I'm going back and forth arguing with him. And, and Raymond tells a story. It's hilarious. And he goes, and then, uh, Shine said to Crosby, hey, turn your business card over. What's the top line say? Because our four core convictions are on the back of the business card. First one's humility and pride out. Hey, so you caught and you. I, and I go, and I turn beet red, he said. Take a deep breath and go, okay, you're right. Let's move on. And Hawkins tells the story. He's like, oh, I thought I was going to see somebody fired in my third week, you know. Um, but, no, I mean, look, if you're not willing to eat it, you know, AJ does a great job with me on, on – uh, I remember we were doing a deal and I, you know, I'm in the weeds on the, on the legal and, you know, I slept at a Holiday Inn Express and I know this is the right way to do it, sure. you know, type of thing. And it's like, so Chris, does it really matter? No. You know, it's, it's just, you have to have people that'll do that. Tammy does a great job slowing me down. Like it's, 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 it's very important. So, um. I think one of my favorite stories about something along those lines is another guy that used to work for you, Brian DeRico, mm -hmm. right? And um, I'm a big Brian DeRico fan. Yeah. Um, huge EQ type of guy, right? So he's, in addition to just a big fat brand on other things, 
like my first time having one-on-one dinner with him, I felt like I was like in class, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Learning how to be a better person type of thing. Yeah. And, and I remember coming back and I was telling Stock Lozner, who yep. digital alumni, he works for us. And I remember telling him, I go, hey, I finally got to like get to know Dorico. And he goes, yeah, the funniest story about Dorico is there was some big bank job and like, I want to say it's like New York, New Jersey. It's one of the big ones. And uh, Dorico, I guess, had that account or it was his deal. And he was sitting there and I don't know who it was above his pay grade was sitting with him talking. And I guess he leaned over. He's like, hey, uh, listen, if I wanted you to talk, I'd tell you, so shut the fuck up. And I was like, so that's what managing up sounds like, you know, versus just managing down, right? So you got to have a decent relationship with whoever you work for if you're going to be able to let them know that they need to stop talking. But just yeah. the way that he did it, I was like, that's gangsta. I yeah. like that. It was probably, oh, hey, please. It was probably me. Was it you? Who was probably. <laughs> well, look. It, it was definitely, definitely. That was uh, two, two ears and one mouth. I used them disproportionately. So. Uh, yeah, well, thank God I have... Um, so some of the people that have worked for me have worked for me for multiple companies now. So they've mm -hmm. got to see me at my worst and then at my, my, my worst, you know, my very worst and my worst. So, and, um, I, there's one, uh, both of the partners will be really, one's more subtle than the other when they want to tell me to settle down or when I need to yeah. just not get involved. So for you, we have our phrase. So, uh, so we did a blind spot session uh, with my ELT and yeah, or any blind spots is you don't know them, and and they feel like they eviscerate you when you get pointed out your blind spots. They're right? humbling, right? For sure. So they should be. It's something that should really. Ooh, geez, that's my blind spot. Of course, if you ask people what their blind spot is, they won't. They'll they'll think that they know it. Mm -mm. They're off until you've had third parties tell you. You need people that like you enough to tell you. So we have a phrase around the ELT that's called purple goose. So. We call each other, we, we purple goose each other in the middle of a meeting. It's kind of this random phrase to when, when our blind spots are acting up. Interesting. So like a code word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a good notes. technique for personal relationships too. Oh, really? Yeah. You bring things right back to the moment when you've had the tough, the tough scenario and you go, I don't want to be back here again. Let's call it something. You know, my son and I have one called golf ball. So that means time out. That, mean, type of thing? that just means. We're, back. We're, we're good. We're, you know, we know we're on solid footing. Let's not, let's not go down this path anymore. I think right now it's your fun. blind spot is your tequila. Yeah. Well, by the way, what were we drinking? This, uh, Elegant. Drinking Lalo, which is a short, shorthand in, in, in Spanish for Eduardo. And Eduardo was Don Julio, uh, the grandfather. It's actually and delicious. So, and it's so super, super clean, hundred percent agave, uh, cooked in the clay so that it doesn't get any, any preservatives or anything in it. And how'd you come a, across this? Who introduced you? Uh, my buddy, Brian Casey introduced me to Lalo. Okay. Where's so he? He's at? a Dallas guy, runs okay. a company called Westwood Financial. Gotcha. Uh, but good golfing buddy and buddy. Um, so he introduced me to Lalo and, uh, you can drink a lot of it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and then this is a Fortaleza Blanco. So Fortaleza is another really clean tequila. Yes. Yeah, so what's the story with this one? How'd you find this one? It's, uh, so it's been around for a while. Um, it's just, a another one. I, I try to drink the Blancos cause I don't like all the stuff in them. Oh, the other um, one's too sweet. Yeah. And they lead to more hangover. So <sighs> I think yeah. the amount of tequila I put in me probably leads to more hangover. Right. So I, um, yeah. I like the tequila that makes it where I don't want to drink too much of it. Yeah. So now I, so you just drink Cuervo. So, now, <laughs> so I used to go to the bar and they're like, yeah, what well, do you have top shelf? And then now I'm like, bring me the 
bring me the just a, ga- the a glass of the piss tequila you have because I know I won't I won't drink too much. And go to Smoky Mescal. Oh well, listen. There you go. So obviously you know JT and um, so he and a couple like I did my first podcast. With- By the way, JT and Brandon Floyd like killed it. J- Justin Zanoko, Brandon Floyd killed it for Compass on the first two jobs. Just those two. They, they lived, sucked after that because that does sound like a JT move. No, they just... they lived in Raleigh and Frankfurt for the first couple of jobs. We built our first two jobs in six months. No kidding. Um, and, so JT uh, used to work. You're saying he used to do things. Yeah, uh, he's going to be listening to this. And he's he even stab. fell in a. He he he'll even tell you the short time when he fell in a pit. So so listen. Now you're telling me you don't ever listen to our podcast. So my first podcast was with. I'm sure you knew uh, you know Laramie Doris when yeah. he, you know his Cyrus days and stuff, and then. Um, now yonder and then uh jt just moved to texas he lives in austin now i know this yeah so we, he's awesome uh he's great and i was with him last night we went uh watched rogan last night i asked you if you nice. want to go and then we um we went and listened to this there's a was the white elephant here when you were around or great blues music great like we music. used to go to and anton's used to be on guadalupe when i was here good music just super loud you know that yeah. blues music white elephant i think it's called or yeah. Elfin Lodge, whatever it is, it's fantastic. Yeah. So I think that's his favorite place. In fact, I peeled out at like, I don't know, one. He's like, I'm going to be here until they kick me out. And I was like, damn. Nice. JT. So uh, he he and Laramie, who is another one of our, like, I feel like the three of us grew up in the industry together. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm sure you have your peer group. Mm-hmm. And um, there's others. You know, there's a lot of good guys that we kind of were in orbit with when when we were at the very junior part of our career, right? And we were just just really trying to understand the dialect of the industry, really. And um, and we did a, I did the first one with them, and they're going to come do one, like, at least once a quarter fun. with me. Yeah, and, that I mean, the first hour, we did a whole bottle of blends just in the first hour. That's funny. <laughs> it was a good time, but we uh, I was taking this back to, oh, you were saying JT and them did the first two programs with you, because... They well, were, they were they were on a program that was early, the so the start of MPS too. That's so right. MPS. Uh, so we had them do the full enclosures, and uh, so Englert and um, another awesome guy, Simon Tusha, yeah. Simon Tusha, Simon. Uh, uh, we call him Baby Huey. Yeah, come on. Why I just why am I forgetting his last name? I think I am too. It's the tequila. Yeah, Simon. He's awesome. Kansas State. He is at like nine degrees or something I know. like that. He's, one, he's of the one of the smartest people. Yeah. So I got to spend a lot of time with Simon because they had their offices on the floor above us. Oh, MPS in the same building? Uh, yeah. And uh, it was fun. Those were fun days. But uh, yeah, Beltramo and I were really close. And um, Mazzetti, obviously. Yeah. So it was uh, Rosenden. Mazzetti, I'm into bird hunting. Yeah. Rosenden's like, been a good, really good partner for us. Yeah. We, really good partner for us. They. Um, I met JT, I think, you know, probably, you know, several years ago, a dozen years ago on a uh, Ro- Rosen program with, I think, Vantage or something like that. And and there was just something to where we uh, we just had, a, you know, we just kind of clicked. And yeah. so he's, you know, you need peers and mentors. And if I'm struggling with certain things, I call him sometimes too, or LD or something like that, because they, I need people that don't view it like me. I need completely mm-hmm. different, you know, I need the optics to be different. And there are, um, if you know, like guys like LD and JT, they're the funnest guys to go party with. Maybe no one parties harder, but there's no one that works harder either. Yeah. And they're exceptional at what they do. And um, and they do things so different from me, or they think so much different than me. 
that I need their perspective. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's two people I trust that will say what I don't want to hear, but they'll tell it to me, you know, because they care enough about me, right? And yeah. sometimes they're the last guys I want to ask, but I know that the first ones I should, right? Because at least they'll shoot me straight and they're not going to tell me what I want to hear. Right. And um, I think that's important to surround yourself with those types of people, even on your LT, right? So for us, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. we, uh, I have to make sure I'm always, like I would love to go do the orientation with our new hires. I just don't want to intimidate any of those people or we're not a big company like yours, but I don't want people to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What I, am I in trouble or am I going to be monitored at this level? You, you, you'll be able to work on that. It's just, we, we, use, we also use Teams channels a lot, which is fun. And I would also invite you to, to, I mean, one of the tools I have to use with people is I tell them brainstorm versus decision. Like cue me when you want to brainstorm. Interesting. What's and that mean? Walk me through Just that. so they come in. I want to brainstorm. And cue me into the mode of not talking like I'm making decisions. Interesting. Are you, uh, so, so they do that to get themselves challenged by you. They're just using you as a sound. No, they're, they're, they're doing it to help program me. I'm inviting them to help my personality flaws. Ah, gotcha. All so right, well, you have license to talk to me and say, you'd like to brainstorm right now. What I think you should do though, is I think the only way to really make this, the only way to improve that process would be to get a dunk tank and sit in it. And then they have to throw balls at you. While they test you. And that probably wouldn't work out so well for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, like, what do you do to, uh, like, what's the, what do you do to make sure that your tribe isn't overstressed or overtaxed? I mean, what do you do to make sure that they're finding joy in life and they're fulfilled with what they're doing so they go do more great stuff? What do you do? What's your advice, you CEO? You make them go do stuff. You're taking time off. Oh, you make them, okay. Like, like, go, um, go, go recharge. I got you. I got your back for a period of time. Um, I will tell you. And, but you also have to talk in terms of seasons. It's one of the great lessons in life is just think of things in seasons. Don't let seasons roll into, don't let summer continue to be summer. Like Take some make, it a make it a season. Like, yeah, you're going to have windows in, in a career where you've got a lot going on. But one of the ways I like to think about it is, is, one of the beautiful truths in life is no matter what is dominating your mind right now, six months from now will be different stuff. Mm, good. And if good. you think in terms of seasons, then you can get better perspective. You know, we live in time, not outside of time. But if you can try to try to reflect back and we really believe in the power of incremental at Compass and, and doing a lot of little things and then go reflect on it. You know, a deal just gave me a presentation of all the stuff that they did in 2021 uh, for design improvements. And it's like, holy cow. So do you ask for that or is that unsolicited? They just, no, it's unsolicited. Interesting. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to celebrate, you got to reflect on the wins. Gracie helps out with all of our office events. She's my uh, EA. And mm -hmm. like, I mean, I, it's not things I think of, but I, that's part of your job. Cause I'm suck at it. Like, and everybody loves Gracie's events and we do them once a month and we have some, you know, one, one time it might be mixing cocktails. Another time it's painting pictures or had a, during COVID, she had comedians on a Zoom, you know? I mean, just cool. how do we connect with people and remember that, you know, um, it's just, this is a job. I mean, it's a part of your life, but it's not your life. Like, yeah. And, and people are better when they're, 
when they have some balance. But you do go through season. I mean, as a startup business or, you know, a high, very high growth, I think we did over 100% last year. Um, you know, you, you that does mean you're going to be busy, but are you effective? So it's a big delta between being busy. I, I love the phrase. Instead, it's when you start to find yourself using the word busy, change the word busy to important. I'm really important at work today. Sure. I was important in this. I was important in that. I was important in this. And I'm important at home because I'm important with this kid's stuff. I'm important with all this other stuff. It's like, check your ego. Or find a synonym for for busy. So, no, I'm joking. Like, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess I can see how I, I'm I mean, busy a lot. Yeah, and, there, and, and do you really need to be? I mean, do, you know, is what you're doing necessary? And... I mean, we, I'm a big believer in going slow to go fast. Stopping and thinking before starting prevents so many errors. But in order to stop and think means you stop and you think. So like, what is, uh, what are you excited about right now? Right. So like, what's, what is the next For two me, years of this industry that you are just like, cause it's cyclical, right? Like what, what we do, um, you know, originally it was probably building the primary you know, business unit of your business. And then you started adding, you know, other, other things that you were going to offer your clients. What is like, uh, what do you see the industry? Give us like um, your crystal ball. So it's funny. I'm, I'm not going to answer with the industry thing. Cause the thing I'm most excited about is watching, watching our cultural ambassadors become the middle management layer. Um, senior managers really got it. And like watching our, their direct reports become, the true ambassadors of things because you can take every one of our every one of the roles in the company if they adhere to the eight principles you know that drive out i don't need to tell them what to do every day they can just adhere to i mean they can literally use those principles to help determine what they what they're going to do and when that becomes permeated throughout you know three levels in the organization like this thing's going to go forever what is um what's the goal then i guess for you not to uh, make yourself insignificant, you know, but like, where do you spend a majority of your time right now? Is it internal or external? It's mostly internal. Um, you know, I do, it's a lot of uh, how, how the organizations are set up. We're working on a lot of multiplier type resources. We try not to photocopy our unicorns. We try to, you know, you hire, you hire the unicorns. I, I don't try to photocopy them. Sure. How do we make our unicorns more effective? What things can we take off their plate? that make them be able to do 10x what they're going to do. So everything for me is an order of magnitude. And Do you find uh, yourself, though, like uh, like you love being involved in the sales process or you find yourself in the mix sometimes or legal? Yeah, or sometimes. I mean, I, you know, I still have relationships, but I don't sell. Well, they tell you to... My And my relationships are at, you know, I'm not, I'm not you know, the teams are awesome. Like they, they do their job better than I can do it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I can help. I can... Sure. Help get a meeting, you know, like, like, you know, we talked about, Hey, I'll get you into this session yeah. or, Hey, who should I talk to in this portion of things? Or, um, Hey, here's what you're, I'm seeing. What are you seeing, Mr. Customer? Um, but no, you don't, I don't know. I mean, it, the, I guess it's a blessing that reputationally, you know, have a pretty good reputation doing what we say we're going to do and, and, uh, delivering on things if we put our word behind it and that matters over time. Um, so, you know, I'm hopeful that, that, uh, I, I enjoy, you know, I spent a lot of time on the, on the 
you know, finance, finance and investing front. Um, and I spent a lot of time on the organization and culture front and, um, it's, it's, this is like the most fun time for me. Like I'm enjoying this more than I've at, at any point in my career of having this level of a team, um, this level of an offering and, and, and just the, the knowledge to know that, I mean, we have culture at the core, we surround it with great talent and the strategies can change, but like, we're, we're just on a rocket ship right now and it's so fun. Do you remember the first time, uh, I think first time I came to the Dallas of you after we launched, uh, we went and had dinner, uh, one of those little places right on yeah. the corner from your office. And, um, we were saying something and I said, Hey, there's only one thing that I don't think that you guys do a very good job at yet. And it's funny cause even that night you wouldn't let me buy, you know, appetizers or some stuff. Right. And like, I, like your team is so busy. Like I can't even get Tim to sit down and have a beer with us every now and then. Right. He obviously he's so busy. He's got a lot going on. He went to the masters at least. Oh, did so, he? Yeah. Good for him, man. Yeah. I'm glad to see that he's getting that type of thing. Cause he, whenever I talked to him, I mean, there was one time I think I Tammy forces, him. Tammy forces him to. Well, that's good. good. For her. That's a testament to her too though. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Cause she's another person who we try to never really have to, you know, we we try not to hit her up because we were so sensitive to how busy she is. But it, if you do, you know that she'll at least at some point reach back out to you. But I'm like you guys, I said you don't let your partners help you guys back as much as, as we could, you know. And you're like, hey man, we don't need any of that, like this for that type of stuff. And I get it. I totally got that. Yeah. I remember we had that yeah. conversation. I'm like, Chris, you just like to be a good person. You like to pay phone calls. But you work with us a lot now, so there's yeah, there lucky. we have to have a trust factor for that kind of stuff that makes sense um you know i don't i don't like there's uh you just want to make sure that that this doing that things are done for you know it's like our rule on entertainment like we'll go out and do entertainment with a with a uh you know a supplier as a for example one of our strategic partners but that's after we've done business with them for a long time and that's for furthering and deepening relationships um, it's not forgetting business and, and we just keep a really bright line as far as that's concerned. I can understand that. But at the same time, I'm like, you we don't really take advantage get to of understand it. people once you put a little bit of loud mouth suit 100%. in front of them. And then you're like, now, now we can be friends. hundred percent. hundred percent. Last night I had, uh, another guy on and his podcast, uh, was focused on, you know, just remember you're always dealing with people, you know, like, mm-hmm. and that's the part I really enjoy most about these podcasts is, is I know at some point, hopefully you go back and listen to some of the other ones. There's some people that I get to know that are pretty awesome. Yeah. But other people should know that too, right? And yeah. and listen, it's not as though you're not getting all your airtime, but people are always asking you about scalability and sustainability and you know, all the all the things that are very prevalently discussed in our space because those are huge factors that everyone's trying to drive to. There's no doubt. Like I don't think people are People don't really even know anymore. They don't even care. They already know who you guys are. They already understand what you guys yeah. do enough. Uh, can they do it? Okay, your SLA is going to look the same as everybody else. Not not really, but yeah. you understand, like, not to over-trivialize it or commoditize us in some narrative, but at some point, they're doing people, they're doing business with people they know and trust. Yeah. Right? And the, the paperwork is... Some are, some aren't, you know. Some, you know, sometimes it's just procurement. Sometimes it's just a commodity, and that's okay, too. Like, yeah, take those deals. You know, it's okay. I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, if if you had to say, what's the, 
you know, what's the main differentiating factor for Compass? It's that everything we do is around the human element. Meaning what? Like, I, I don't think people fully understand or appreciate your, your devotion to diversity as an example. People don't understand that. And you're not going to open it up and talk about it. So I'm going to ask you. Like, I told you I grew up in that crazy bubble in Plano, right? Yeah, but it, saying it was a crazy bubble didn't really tell me exactly why. It just means that like the best ideas, the best fostering of, of everything comes from diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of personality, diversity of, it takes, it's hard. People give it lip service. I mean, greenwashing, diversity washing go hand in hand. We don't talk about it because we don't greenwash. I mean, our focus on sustainability is avoidance. You don't get credit for for avoidance in this world. Um, you, you don't get a credit for, I, I don't, I don't want it ever to be about um, marketing. I don't ever want it to be about um, third party perception. I want it to matter to us. Like it's real for us and we do this for these reasons. And, and that's really, really important to me. Um, there you go. So like, that's the stuff that, that's what I'm trying to draw you out a little bit on is it's hard for you to talk, to talk about some of the things that you do, right? And um, and I understand why, because you're a pretty humble person in that sense where you're like, I'm not doing it to get any credit. And it, it you said something once, you're like, that defeats the whole purpose. You know? It just defeats it. Yeah, so. I, mean, I can sponsor, I can be an advocate, I can make an impact. And that's what I'm focused on. Like, sure. how do I, you know, we're doing some things and we're gonna be the probably the first, you know, we're gonna be doing HVO fuel, for example, in generators. Probably gonna cost us, you know, close to two X. Really? But we're gonna make a difference. And yeah, it's only a little bit. You know, it's funny, we do some things like carving cure and things like that. And then you'll read an article and it says, oh, that doesn't do enough. You know, and it's like, you know, my attitude towards it is screw that. Like, what are you doing incrementally? What are you doing to make a difference? You know, if 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 we got rid of coal and went to natural gas, you know how much that would be better for emissions? But natural gas is a dirty word. Well, go make a step. Don't wait for it to all magically happen. Just what can you do today? What, how can you make a difference? And that incrementalism that feeds on itself and you just keep letting it feed on itself. And that's, that's how things happen. You know, but if you, if you, you know, if I want to bring down the price of HGO fuel and I don't start, like, it's not going to come down. Which one do you like better? Fortaleza or Lalo? I'm going to go with Lalo. Lalo. It's so much, not that this one's not bad. Just smoother. It is that one is That's, way This one's in oak. This one's done in oak. That one's done in uh, in the uh, clay. We'll we'll make sure that we test drive that bottle a few more times. <laughs> That's the another fun part about this podcast is every time I do it, I always ask people I'm like, "What do you drink?" And you were simple. You're like tequila or Topo Chico or something like that, right? And yeah. I was like, "That's easy." Some people are like, oh, "I need this bougie beer. I need this or that," but um. You get to drink what other people drink, and you're like, well, why do you drink that? Like, and, you know, everyone has their own reason, but it's just, for me, it's another way to understand why other people do things that they do. Not just what they do and how they do, but why they're doing yeah. it, which is more fascinating. So, you know, I'll, I'll bring it home here in a little bit, because I am I know you're down here, you know, for other reasons as well, so I don't want to hold you back from any of that I stuff. I got my, but, uh, you talk about, you talk about having a, having a uh, cult of personality. My daughter, we're down for this thing for her 21st birthday was on monday for the fifth year in a row right because uh, fake ids but uh sure. but anyway so she has her 21st birthday and she has lots of friend groups like she has a, 
so she combines the the big personality, but she's kind like my wife, and she's very genuine like sure. with everybody, and she cares about everybody all the time. And uh, um, so she has all these friend groups. She was depressed, like uh, not depressed, but was upset about we didn't know what. And I'm like, hey, are you okay? Because you never know in this day and age, social sure. media and everything else. And she's no, Dad, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. She says, but I just, I don't want to have my 21st birthday because if I invite these people, then these other ones can't come and then I'm going to feel bad, you know? And, uh, so I said, oh, well, how about you do a bar tab? And she goes, I don't know, dad. I don't know. And the next day she texts me. She's like, dad, I think that's a great idea. So bar tab is like what? Just where I pay the bill. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, and so she says, uh, she says, uh, <laughs> so funny. She goes. Um, I got a place, you know, it's Lucille over off, uh, uh, like the fried chicken place. No. Um, it's over off rainy street. Oh, okay. On rainy. Gotcha. Uh, and, uh, so that place, I got this and I have a hundred and thirty five names and I think we'll top out at one fifty. I'm like, how in the hell can you name 135 friends? She's like, I got twice as many friends now, dad. And they held it was three times the size of our wedding. <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. And How so, much is a bar tab for three for three I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it because I extended it twice. Oh, well, you um, had to be fun, right? It was a blast. She, was, she texted me this morning hungover and was just like, Dad, that was the greatest thing ever. But, but anyways, it was, you know, it's just one of those deals where it's like, wow. Um, That's awesome. That's yeah. going to be pretty cool. I mean, did your awesome. daughter go to UT because you went to UT? You know, she grew up with a lot of burnt orange. The old oh, game room yeah. at the old house, and um, does she spit every time someone says A and M? No, no, we don't do that. Uh, no, not at all. I mean, you know, we have quite a few Aggies at at Compass. The God, God invented Aggies to work for Longhorns. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ooh, I'll tell you this. Um, I live in Austin and I moved here and I thought it was the law. You know, you have to be a UT fan, and I did. I got the stickers, and we all had some of that stuff, and then finally. An AM guy came up to me and he goes, Hey, listen, what's up with all this? You're not even from here, right? I'm my whole lineage is military. We're not from anywhere, right? right? So I said, Well, look, I live here. It seems like the appropriate thing to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Went in Rome and he goes, Listen, um, do you know what they call an AM grad in the state of Texas? I'm like, No. And he goes, Boss. And I was like, Interesting. Hmm. And I didn't think anything of it until I was working on some program and it was like Walker, you know, Walker Engineering and like Turner or something, and I'm sparring with the electrical contractor from Walker, and he's an A&M guy. That, like everyone in the top three chains are all A&M mafia guys because they all wear those, they all wear their the rings, rings, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember arguing with one, and one's like, why do you think you know that? And I was like, and I kind of went through my background a little bit. I'm like, look, because it's, it's not as hard as you make it sound. Like this is really all it is. And uh, the client was sitting there watching us spar, and finally... He's like, how do you know that? I was like, well, I was, you know, Navy, Sabrines, Nuke, yeah. all these things. And he goes, well, why didn't you just say that? He's like, the A&M grads don't ever mess with, with those people, but they're going to just keep on chipping paint on everybody else. It's funny. So I remember coming home and my daughter, my wife was saying something once. And she's like, do you think our kids will go to UT? I'm like, mm, I watched some A&M guys plow through some UT guys today. So I'm not sure which school is better right now. I'm not better on football. I'm watching. It's just funny. I just think, I, I think it's funny. The whole, the whole. Well, that's deal. cool that she went there. Yeah, no, it was fun. Sorority? Did. did she? I mean, she have, was she getting ready? Yeah, she's a Zeta. What's she gonna do? Uh, so she's in civil engineering. 
Uh, she's sure been, you have connections with that. She's been uh, interning with KFM, a great group out of Dallas. Uh, she's uh, now she's gonna. I don't know what she's gonna do, but she's gonna kill it. I'm not so worried you about. You'll it. be the CEO of Compass one day, maybe. Oh, uh, we don't. We we got nepotism rule. <laughs> oh, there you go. So, well, I can appreciate that. Well, um, let me just ask you, if, you know, just a few more questions. Yeah. Like, what do you what do you hope your legacy will be? You know, I know you got a long way in the game still, but like. When it's all said and done, will it be you know you being one of the original OGs on the digital side. It's what you pioneered on the compass side. It's what you did to, uh, you know, to bring and spearhead a lot of diversity into this space, which ultimately has a long term benefit in everything that we're doing. What is it that you want people to remember? Uh, I you know what I, I just think it's a. Uh... What do I want people to remember? Good you can question. come back on podcast no, no, and talk about it. It's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's 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 a focus on some legacy. Is does the brand survive? Is it real? Like, does it make it? Diff I mean, how we make lives better, and and there's nothing more rewarding than seeing, you know, all the success of the people that used to work for me at digital, watching them all be successful. Like, That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's not like I did it, but like, it's just, you're part of that whole legacy. So think, so so think it's about legacy. all the people that you built, right? That's what I was trying to say earlier, but I was trying to find a way to not say it in a way that was undermining the accomplishments of these other people that have gone on. After they've, killed, they, they've killed it. And, yeah, there's and a, it's so fun. That's so, that is so, like of the things that give me enjoyment, it's watching success of the teams. It's, you know, I was, I tell people, I get all of my joy out of watching the teams do something, not the things that I do. Um, there's just just to know, hey, go take that hill, and they go take the hill, like that's fun. I mean, that's that's, awesome. that's fun. So, uh, what do you tell people? Last question is this: is I always ask people this because it's funny to see how they struggle with this question too. But when you tell people you know, hey, what industry are you in? Like when I ask Peter Gross a question, I'm like, what do you tell people you do? He's like, I just tell him I'm an engineer. No one cares about that. So it's never, he this never is asked. Easy. This is the easy one. So when people are like, uh, so, you know, you're in the data center industry, what do you say? I make power outlets for a living. You make what? Power outlets for a living. Interesting. I think you're going to have to step your game up. That's your blind spot right there. <laughs> you're going to have to get better than that. Come on, man. You're the CEO of Compass. You just self-deprecate a little bit. You got to figure it out. Like, There's got to be someone that nails it. And then we'll be like, all right, well, that's what we're all going to say now. Once you get the whole, because I don't think people understand or appreciate. So our, our purpose the impact is a, that we have our as an purpose industry. as a business, uh, making lives better by providing our customers a secure place to plug in wherever they grow. That's that's why Compass exists. Besides making money, um, is to do that. And so you know, we're not we're an asset based business. Um, we really customer focused. Making lives better has a whole lot of implications, both for our employees, for our partners, for our, sure. you know, keeping people safe, keeping them working. Um, it, it's it's fun. I mean, that's, and then just continuing to wherever they grow, you know. You still having fun at least? Oh, I'm having a blast. I've never had more fun in my career than right now. Well, that's awesome. You know what will be even more fun is this year when you come down to DCAC Live in September? So September? Okay, I can block it out. Hey, listen, I can block it out. You said that for the last six years. All right, uh, tell me the date and no, I'll put no, it in the phone right DC, now. Yes, the that's one, the one to do it with. I'm done talking to you about this that's, stuff. I agree. Off again. So, um, <laughs> but listen, Chris, I've wanted you to come on since we started this. Yeah. 
I can't thank you enough for everything you've done, not for the opportunities that you've given our team to kind of grow with your team. And we get to work with Tammy and Tim and, and a lot of the other folks that are there that are fantastic. It's, um, there's times where you just gave me advice when I probably didn't quite deserve it, um, but I definitely needed it. But and just pay it forward to the other entrepreneurs. I and do my best. Other entrepreneurs have helped me. Sure. You know, you just, you learn those hard th things and you just pay them forward and it's the way it works. Listen, uh, one of my partners the other day, Anthony, on our team was like, you know, in that book that Chris gave us, maybe we should have everyone in that company now read it. You know, and that was just like last week, right? So thank you for all the, like, I mean, when shit was hitting the fan and COVID, you know, that the world was on fire and you had to deal with your own team and your own customers. It meant a lot that you reached out to us to make sure that we were okay and that we had you in our you know, in our corner and, and we've silently, you know, under the waterline have been in your corner the whole time yeah. as well. I hope you know that. And then, and then there's other times where you, like, even the time where I called you, you know, a month ago, all hyped up about something. You're like, listen, <laughs> verbally slapped me a little bit and then giggled a little bit. Cause I remember all that. Cause I was like, it's good that I could call him and he could do that. And I don't feel like an idiot still, you know, but no, it's but you're right. I needed to hear that. Well, right? I went through the same thing. It's yeah. crazy. Right. Yeah. But like, I'm uh, learning how humbling it is to sit in this role sometimes, but as long as I keep surrounding myself with people that are all 10 times smarter than me, I'll, I think in spite of myself, I'll works, be okay. Works pretty good. Yeah. Well, listen, Chris, thanks for making the time and I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend yeah. and I hope we get to do this again. Absolutely, thanks, Kirk. You got it, man, thanks. Yeah.